With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. This year, I'm thankful for this podcast. Before I continue my first ever journey through the Harry Potter series, just a few quick announcements. First, Multitude has finally finished the Multitudio. It has been completely finished with these intense sound panels and the ceiling is nice and the room is really big and there's shelves and very fancy audio equipment. I'm loving it. You may have been able to hear things get slightly better and better as we've worked on it, but now it is finally done. And if you live in the New York City area or if you're stopping by and you want to record something, you can rent it. If you want to learn about the whole process of making the studio, just Google a studio of one's own Multitude. There's a whole nice little write-up. Or if you want details about renting it, go to multitude.production slash studio. It's great. I love it. And you can use it too and fall in love just like me. Also, I wanted to give a huge shout out to everybody that came to the Houston live show. It was so much fun. It was an absolute blast. The show was fantastic. Meeting people before, during, after, and after, after at the after party was so great. Thank you all so much. And I'm very excited to do more and more shows. I should have some announcements soon of some upcoming live shows that are currently in the works. So stay tuned for that. All that information about live shows that I will be a part of is at multitude.production slash live. And finally, the time we're recording, it's almost Thanksgiving, and genuinely, I am so thankful for all of you. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. For those of you who are able to support the show on Patreon, thank you so much. That helps pay my bills, keep my lights on, helps me and Kelly pay for our upcoming wedding. And for anybody who's talked about the show online, in person, told a friend about it, thank you all so much. You have made me achieve my dreams. You've helped me accomplish my goals. I love my life right now, and it's all thanks to you. So thank you all so very much. And speaking of things I'm thankful for, we've new patrons. Welcome to the team. So shout out to Britt Johnson, Robin Garcia, Victoria Jensen, Ashley Miser, Megan Nelson, Jamie Casterin, Jeremy McIntosh, Japnison Kurtz, Daphne Rukers, Emily Savage, Kyle Palmer, Charles Fabizak, and Chloe Horder. And a huge shout out to our new producer level patrons, Leah Reed and Melissa Rabb. They join the ranks of Vicky, Aaron, Jesse, Natalie, Cloud, Frank, Marchismo, Samantha, Juan, Abid, Rosemarie, Marie, Lisa, Romina, Kamel, Audra, Eleanor, Ross, Anne, Nikita, Taylor, Ali, Amelia, Sarah, Ben, Rachel, Zachary, Orchid, Vivian, Takari, Haley, Moster, Angelina, Caitlin, Grace, Raul, Ingen, Mari, Alex, John, Noel, Tao, Emily, Robin, Will, Liz, Brandon, Sarah, Claire, Rory, Gloria, Sarah, Patrick, Aliket, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Tracy, Colleen, Jennifer, Friday, Ivor, Naomi, Tyler, Summer, Heather, Vera, Carrie, Andrea, Ella, Anthony, David, Lisa, Lynn, Cameron, Justin, Christine, Jacob, Toothless, Maya, Mark, Polly, Netta, Remy, Sarah, Nona, Zena, Harlan, Noelia, Addie, Brian, Jenny, Nikki, Cara, Courtney, Kine, Amanda, Sabrina, Alicia, Kafir, Lindy, Martha, Benjamin, Sarah, Marta, Stephanie, Justin, Aaron, CJ, Eileen, Violet, Kat, Lindsay, Fielding, Keegan, Miranda, Gale, Mr. Folk, Adam, Christina, Maya, Zachary, Kieran, Heaven, Christy, Lily, Wire Warrior, Floor, Siri, Georgia, Itzel, Topher, Peter, Candy, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Kelsey, Lubin, Malaya, Lena, Daniel, Lita, 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 Elizabeth, Abby, Lika, Michael, Earmuffs, Kara, Tiffany, Kelly, Nadia, Kerry, Jamie, Camillo, Connie, Mary, Emos, Anastasia, Jaden, Nedry, Matt, Riley, Will, Zephyr, Brett, Samantha, Kayla, Lauren, Aurora, Emma, Hermani, Megan, Out of Context, Liam, Melena, Marcos, Ella, Hannah, Courtney, Victoria, Marie, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, Julie, The Meadows Family, Jennifer, Anna, Fake, Brianna, Karu, Teru, Sarah, McKenna, Six Awkward Nine, Anthony, Peter, Heather, Dead Cat Lady, Javi, Darlene, Brad, Thomas, Charlotte, Brianna, Kevin, Lori, Patrick, Chrissy, Alex, Charlotte, Bugaboo, Jarl, Adam, Emma, Ashley, Pita, Sophie, Jack, Jen and Pixel Guy, Nicole, Out of Context, Callahan, Kylo, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never immediately drop a french fry on the ground when their friend says, hey, do you want to have some fries? If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to bonus content, such as bonus episodes, exclusive merchandise, live streams, you can 
can head on over to patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 103 of Potterless, the final episode about the movie version of Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, guest starring Brigham Snow and Lauren Shippen. And welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a grown man who just recently read the Harry Potter series for the very first time and is now watching the movies. My name is Mike Schubert. I am that grown man, and I'm here joined for the third and final time, we promise, by two <laughs> lovely humans, again, from Atypical Artists. It's Lauren Shippen and Brigham Snow. Lauren and Brigham, how's it going? This is like our Triwizard Tournament. <laughs> Save us. Save us. <laughs> the third task. Can they finally talk about the movie? Will we survive? Who will die? <laughs> yeah, we haven't even got to the second task of the movie. Oh, boy. But this will be the last episode. I have fewer notes and no song lyrics to read this time. So let's just kick it right off. The last thing we talked about was the Yule Ball, the Weird Sister song, etc. Continuing with the Yule Ball, uh, note that I have the saris that the twins have to wear rough. Those Indian dresses are gross. Yeah. yeah. I've mm. heard multiple comments from my friends who are Indian that have seen this movie. And I think someone even said it at one point at LeakyCon this past weekend. It said the least believable thing about the fourth movie is that the Indian twins would wear clothes so disgusting (laughs) like they just look like what a white costume designer thinks Thinks traditional indian garb is yeah it's pretty rough they're gross and it's like mango and plum colored and then they're just color flips for the two twins that uh not ideal not ideal at all again jk rowling was not not great with the representation Mm. And also, you know, twins, how they always walk together in the hallways and only say the same words. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. I felt just bad for anyone that was a twin in that movie because Fred and George do the same thing where they talk in unison all the yeah. time. And then Parvathy and Padma also only do that. It's. Yeah. Oi, Twins, man. I don't know what <laughs> J.K. Rowling has against them. <laughs> but the final thing that happens in the O-Ball scene is the true height of the Hermione-Ron argument. Yeah. Where she's in tears saying, don't wait until the last minute to ask me. That's when we actually finally learn that she has feelings for Ron back, which mm-hmm. is really cool. But it's tough to watch. But I think that's what makes it so masterfully done. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It feels it feels like a school dance, you know, where oh, you yeah. get so all real. dressed up and are so excited. And then there's just like crushing disappointment. That's just what being a teenager is. I just remember middle school dances and like walking out into the halls to go to like a restroom during it. And like there would be people like fighting or crying, yes. and people consoling each other. And obviously like girls with their shoes off sitting down and stressed. And it's like, oh, this feels really real. Oh, my God. Girls bathrooms at middle school dances. Were, I, and I would just like I would go to a middle school dance for like 30 minutes <laughs> so I like had to be there and I would like you know go to the bathroom every 10 minutes to like avoid actually socializing ah. with people and literally every single time there would be like a new group of girls crying about something or like consoling yep. a crying friend I'm just like I just remember being like a 13 year old being like how do you guys even create this much drama? My life is so boring. <laughs> well, it's like the euphoria of the dance, like especially in this scene. What, what I really, really loved, it's one of my favorite Emma Watson moments is when she's like, you spoiled everything you yeah. know, after they're when they're walking up and she sits down on the steps and she takes yeah. off her shoes. And th- you can see that there's a girl being consoled, like steps up from her. And it's actually such a great 
like pivot for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, yeah, the direction in this scene really gets the gets the teen angst really well, I think. Yeah, it's really well done. I just remember for me with middle school dances at my very Catholic K through 8 school where the little description cards at the bottom said save room for the Holy Spirit. Oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> no way. Yeah, 100%. Oh my god. No grinding at all. But I just remember it was a constant struggle of during the upbeat songs part, being in a circle and then positioning yourself in a way so that once it was a slow song, you could turn to the person that you wanted to ask before somebody else did. And it was just a whole mental game of, it was all build up for the slow dances and trying to like position yourself to ask the person that you wanted to slow dance with. Oh my God. You could not ask me to go through middle school again. Absolutely (laughs) not. Oh, I hated it. (laughs) And just the crushing defeat of getting turned down from that was so bad well Um, and like i you know those things are i don't i don't know what middle school is like now but certainly when we were growing up like incredibly gendered right like i never asked anybody to dance but i was never asked to dance and so it was always like a thing of being out in the dance floor and just like the crushing disappointment of nobody asking hence me escaping to the bathroom every time honestly i gotta say it is it is rough for the boys because again not that I'm okay with this but this is just how it was it was very much the boys ask the mm-hmm. girls and it's hard to get up that courage but also it's gotta suck to just be standing around waiting yeah. and not getting and I remember one of honestly one of the biggest regrets in my life <laughs> is 8th grade I will like it's one of those middle school things that you wake up in a cold spot like I can't believe I did this I'm okay, so sorry but it was such a thing I just remember my school like if you slow dance with someone, it was such a, a talk of the town because my school only had 60 people per class. Right. So like everyone knew exactly who slow danced with who, how many times. It was a whole discussion point. Yep. And I remember it was one of the last dances, if not the last dance of the year, eighth grade. I wasn't dating anybody. I knew I was moving to Texas. So there was like, I was off the market. No one wanted to touch <laughs> me. Uh, but... I remember distinctly someone came up to me and was like, Amanda Repka wants you to ask her to dance. And I wasn't interested. And at the time I was like, oh, well, I don't want to ask her because like, I don't like her, blah, 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 blah. But looking back, I should have just fucking danced with her. Who yeah. cares? Oh, and I, <laughs> yeah. I look back and I feel so oh, bad. No. Don't worry. Amanda oh. Repka and I are friends still and we oh, talk and it's great. like, it didn't work out. But I just like. Uh, it was so dumb that I didn't dance with someone that wanted to dance with me just because I was like, what are people going to think? And, well, and also uh, it feels so high stakes, right? Of like, uh, oh, well, if I dance with somebody, then like that means everything versus like, no, you can just dance with somebody because you want to do something nice. You that's know? the thing is I was so pent up in, oh, I can only dance with people that I like so that if something evolves from me, like, dude, who cares? Just, ah. <laughs> uh. You're just going to stand there three feet apart and swaying for two minutes. It's going to yeah, be yeah, fine. Like the freaking, the Green Day song. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh my God. Well, Lauren, to your point about it being high stakes, I think that's what's an interesting part of this movie is that you've got these like, quote unquote, high stakes of like growing up in these relationships and stuff. But then like you're getting a real uh, taste of like actual danger and death with the Triwizard Tournament. And it's like opening up the world a bit more. So I think this is a pretty interesting movie for that. Yeah. The juxtaposition of like the, yeah, the high stakes teenage stuff and the actual life and death stakes are always really really interesting and i do yeah. think that the yule ball does that well and same yeah. thing with like the sixth movie i think does it well too yeah the yule ball is a really good scene and in the books and in the movies i think this was one scene that they absolutely nailed i think they did a really good job of yeah. really getting across the emotions and that was one that i was very happy and enjoyed yeah one thing right after the yule ball you have neville coming back with his shoes like around his shoulder and he's like so happy yeah. that was really the cool best. to see was really nice especially in the movie's 
early on, Neville just gets dunked on and dunked on and dunked on. So for Neville to have a good night, I was yeah. so happy. He's like, yes, <laughs> Neville had a good one. Good That's for you, good. Neville. You and Ginny. Yay, cool. Sorry that Ginny ends up getting with Harry. <laughs> <laughs> so then there's a later scene where Hermione is talking to Harry about how he still doesn't know what the second task is because the golden egg is the clue and he hasn't figured it out yet. And there's just something that's so funny there on the little walkway to one of the towers looking out in the window. No one else is there. Hermione says that she's worried because he got the clue weeks ago and the task is in two days and he doesn't know it. Classic Harry. Yeah, classic Harry. And he goes, yeah, I'm aware. But there's this great thing where she's on one side of him and then she goes, Harry. And then she goes to the other side of him and goes, I'm worried about you. She is the most dramatic in this movie that when she's like on the other side of the tent wall for the first one, too. And oh they're like God. talking side by side. She's so extra. In she's this film. so extra. She's doing the most, oh which my God. sometimes comes off well, but other times it's like, all it's right. like, uh, bring it down a couple notches. <laughs> Isn't this also the scene where she's like crumbs more of a physical being? Yes. And then they have a moment and then I, the, everyone feels bad. Like everyone feels weird. Yeah, <laughs> yes. I that, I hated that. That phrasing, gross. Yeah. Because terrible. she eventually clarifies, yeah. but right off the bat, what it sounds like is like, nah, we just fucked. Because <laughs> uh, oh. that's not something that she says in the book. No, at not all. at all. Because Crumb is complex and she always defends him. Yeah, and also like there's a there's like a whole thing later on too of sort of a question of, I think it's in the sixth book when, when Ron hasn't had his first kiss yet and is kind of like, you know, freaking out about that. And there's sort of this whole thing of like, oh, like Hermione and Victor have kissed. But it's like, I don't know, the way that it was framed made it seem like that's literally all they did like maybe once yes, or twice. Yes, You know, it's like, I don't think even when they were at the Yule Ball, they had kissed yet, no. you know? And so I, yeah, it just, again, feels like, creepy I didn't I didn't realize how many feelings I had about the way that this movie is like <laughs> sexualized and gendered it's, yeah it's not great and again it makes me sad because it makes crumb less complex and yeah. it just I don't know it doesn't feel great when they're like yeah this guy's he's a dumbass yeah like, it's just I don't know I like crumb <laughs> made me sad yeah so Cedric then, right after this, gives Harry the advice, paying him back for oh Harry telling him about the dragons. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> what is, what is this about? Oh, uh, just what's coming next? Yeah, like, yeah. we're talking about all oh. of this. I thought I thought of that was to Cedric being like, take a bath. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean that's, that's it, but yeah. Like that's something that I think has been made into great fodder in, oh, in yeah. fan fiction, especially because like the way that it happens in the book is somehow weirder than the way that it happens in the movie. Right. But what doesn't make sense in the movie is that he says. You know the prefect's bathroom on the fifth floor, right? Great place to take a bath. You take the egg there. But then he doesn't tell Harry the prefect bathroom password, which yeah. is very oh, important okay. in the book is that Harry just gets in there in the movie. And nobody's there. Well, yeah, in canon, then, you, anyone can go in the prefect bathroom. Also, can we talk about how if you are a prefect, you get, like, a full fucking spa? That's so nice. Because that those pipes, that was so cool. Yeah. With roughly 87 yeah. <laughs> nozzles yeah. of water and... Bubbles syrups and, and bubbles and scents and and bath like a bombs. fucking pool yeah. like yeah and then a stained glass window that's yeah. animated yeah. there's so much and then and a, ghost a ghost that <laughs> wants to look at your dick yep. yeah also that it's always really <laughs> creepy how sexual moaning myrtle is and i get that's the point but she's how old was she when she died? Like 14 or something? 14, it's a, 15? She's super horny for an early teenager. Yeah. A little too horny. Way too horny. horny. <laughs> uh, I just love her little bubble noises that she go pop, pop, pop. 
And it's so unsettling. And just threatening Harry that if he doesn't figure out the clue soon enough, it's going to be like Cedric, where the bubbles went away. So, you know, I could stare at his junk. Yeah, Yeah, it's just so creepy. And I think Dan Radcliffe in this scene does a wonderful job of like being very awkward and very like... I, I I love moving the bubbles towards yeah, the bubbles. private region. <laughs> yeah. But I love I love Harry too because anytime Harry is met with like any degree of innuendo or anything like that, he's just sort of like, huh, what, huh? I don't, huh? <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like he doesn't really want to engage in that, which right. is like kind of refreshing for a teenage boy character who's like, no, actually, like, can you stop looking at my naked body, weird ghost? Like, <laughs> Can you not make sex jokes at me, friend? You know, it's like... <laughs> not that I'm promoting this, but she's a ghost. Just fly into the water and look at his junk if that's what you want to do. Doesn't Which she do that? She does. She kind of dives under and right. Well, also, up. she's like watching him as he's listening to the egg underwater. And I'm like, this is what she's looking at. Yeah. Right yeah. It's all just very weird. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I was happy when the scene ended. <laughs> <laughs> Myrtle also hints at polyjuice potion being used, which I don't know if that happens in the book. Yeah. She says, I found some polyjuice potion. Are you making more? And then Harry says, oh, no, I've kicked the habit, which is part of the allusion to Tim. the Mad-Eye Moody situation. I think, it do- I think that does happen in the book, maybe. Well, that's also a reference to the second yes, movie, second, second book. Because yeah. they were they were in the prefect bathroom, weren't they? When no, they did it the... was in the bathroom that was closed off, and it's the one gotcha. where Myrtle died. They yeah. made it in her stall. Yeah, it's like that, the one that she occupies, but then she starts like move through the pipes more. Oh, so she moves from bathroom to bathroom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that explains why when I go to the restroom at Universal, she's moaning while I'm staying at a urinal. Exactly. Which, yes. cool. I get why they do it. Hey, Universal, can you not? It, I, can you please it's stop? It's so unsettling. I don't <laughs> like it. Because if you're, if you're just doing number one, it's fine. But when you've got to do the longer <laughs> bathroom process, it's not fun to have a few minutes of young teenage girl giggling while you're answering nature's call. <laughs> There's also such like weird men's bathroom etiquette of like, okay, you keep one urinal between you and the other guy. So even if you do that, you're both staring straight at a wall as like a little girl is moaning and giggling. And it's I'm just... all here for the immersive experience. Yeah. If the bathrooms are just bathrooms, no one would be complaining. Yeah. yeah you would do cute things of like, you know, entrance to, to the ministry, stuff like that, because that's how you get to the ministry at one point. Mm-hmm. And so, but having Moaning Myrtle in, I, I can't imagine in, in the, the men's bathroom because in the, in the women's bathroom, it's like, you know, there are sometimes are little girls in the in right. the bathroom and who are talking. And so it doesn't necessarily feel like sonically quite different. They still play yeah. the Moaning Myrtle sound in the women's restroom though. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> but it's still like when you're actually in the stall alone, it's a little bit like, I don't, I don't care for it. It's very, (laughs) (laughs) arguably it makes everyone take longer because everyone has stage fright when you're trying to go to the bathroom. So now Uh. you've got someone definitely (laughs) assumed to be watching you. Not ideal. Come on, Universal. What are you doing? Please stop. (laughs) So the mermaid song I thought was really funny as someone that went to Catholic school from K until high school is that it sounds just like a church song. It it sounds like a responsorial (laughs) psalm at a Catholic mass. (laughs) It totally the does. bread of the bread. <laughs> it's very, uh, it's so silly. It's so, so, so silly. Finally, we get out of this bathroom. This scene couldn't have ended quicker. And you've got Neville 
not Dobby giving the gillyweed, which it all makes sense because you've written out Dobby because Dobby really only exists in the movie to deal with Winky and all of that. Yeah. So that that makes a little more sense. But as the second task is about to start, you have Fred and George taking bets, which I think is very fun. Yeah. yeah. Especially because you lose out on one of the things that happens in the World Cup, Brigham, is that with Ludo Bagman, this character who is just written off a whole plot is that <laughs> Fred and George place this very specific bet on a very specific outcome of the Quidditch World Cup. And then they're right. And then they get a bunch of money. Yeah. So but like Ludo Bagman's kind of being like shady about it. It's like, <laughs> this, yeah, this whole gambling like bookie plot line. <laughs> so I, that's still finds a way here with them being jerks and taking bets on people in the second task. One thing, people have made fun of this to death, but we still got to talk about it. Watching the second task has to suck. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You're just sitting in the stands looking, looking at, at water. <laughs> There's And they're wizards. You would think they could do something where they have some sort of like wizard camera or some spell where you can see underneath. There's There's got to be something. Do magic. Well, Anything. The, it's the same thing with the, the third task, too, because yeah. the witches yeah. are too tall. You can't see over them. Right. It's like, what's the point? It's just don't show up. Go to school. Go yeah. to school. <laughs> Learn things. Well, that's the other thing is this movie is like an extra's dream because <laughs> the amount of crowds that they had in this A film. A lot of crowd shots. It's very true. I want to watch the movie again just to like really pay attention to the extras because that's always the best. That's Yeah, always see what people are doing. There were yeah. a lot of very strange reactions. I picked up on a few of them. There's one blonde haired girl that they zoom in on her face after Harry storms through the people wearing Potter Stinks badge and she gives this awful look of (laughs) (laughs) you do stink Potter (laughs) so bad so then they actually get into the task first thing that's buck wild I don't know if they ever clarified this in the book but the fact that they have the people underwater and they're still wearing their full school robes is bonkers yeah couldn't they've told them to change into a swimsuit before they go under the lake (laughs) They're just wearing their full-ass robes. Yeah, that's really true. Uh, so strange. And out of, in the book, does he use Ascendio to swim up? I thought he just swam up and then was passing out and then finally gets to the top. I don't remember him using a spell. Yeah, I think he does just swim up okay. and, and eventually make it. So yeah, classic movie, making it more dramatic. Yeah. Does he do a, a super rad uh, flipper feet flip? Uh, once he gets his powers. That is not described. I think he just jumps out of the water and jumps in like a dolphin. I yeah. Don't think he, like does. the, he doesn't go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the way that that he goes into the lake in, in the book is that he's like, there's not, they're not on docks. They're just like at the shoreline. Right. And he just takes a gillyweed and then is just standing in the water, like uh, up to his waist, just being like, I don't. I don't know what to do. And then he grows gills and he like, and then he can't in. breathe. Yeah. So he has to go into the water. It's, yeah. it's a little more dramatic mm. and makes a little more sense than him jumping in and then just saying, I hope I figure it out <laughs> while I'm underwater. <laughs> so one thing that's fun that I think is just in the movie, not the book is after Fleur is thanking Harry for saving her little sister. She also goes on to thank Ron. She goes, and you helped. And Ron's like, oh, sure. And then she kisses him on the cheeks. And then Ron goes, merci. (laughs) Which I am pretty sure is not in the book, but I'm here for it. I think she does kiss him on the cheek in the the book. But I don't think he says merci. No, he definitely doesn't. (laughs) Is Fleur in the books kind of treated in the same way for the competitions? Because now that I think of it, like she made it through the first one, but then she isn't able to finish the second one and then she gets consumed in the third one and it's kind of sucky. No, she sucks. Like, she just does not yeah. perform she's well. Like, yeah. She's, I think, presented as, like, 
competent but not skilled in the gotcha. in the book. Mm-hmm. I think going in, there's more of a presence that she is awesome. She is much like Crouch, the front runner to get selected. Yeah. Oh, past Mike, you're so silly. Crouch didn't enter his name into the Goblet of Fire. Hey, editing Mike here. Past Mike definitely meant crumb. Not Crouch. Though Crumb and Crouch start with the same sound, they are incredibly different characters. Anyway, back to the podcast. But then she mm. just kind of beefs it at the competitions. Gotcha. I don't think it's anyone thinking less of her being like, oh, Fleur. I think it's just she yeah. just happens to perform poorly. Yeah. So that's kind of it. So then there's a scene later on, which is a little interesting. You have a scene where Moody, who is Barty Crouch Jr., in disguise, yelling at Barty Crouch Sr., who is his dad. And first, he calls him Bartimius, which isn't his name. It's Bartimus. Mm. <laughs> and they've said Bartimus before earlier in the film, so it's not like they changed it. So I think it's very weird, and I don't know if it was intentional or what, that they messed up. The son doesn't know his dad's name. Yeah. <laughs> A little weird there. But then also, he does the snake thing again. But this is just an interaction that doesn't happen in the book. Yeah. And it just, it was confusing to me. Yeah, again, it seems like them trying to... Because I feel like a lot of the clues about Barty Crouch are laid in like Daily Profit articles that they're reading. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so I think it just feels like them trying to create like clues for this larger reveal. Yeah, and in the book, it's it's more explained. Brigham, there's this whole thing where Barty Crouch Sr. has been keeping Barty Crouch Jr. hidden. There's, mm-hmm. The whole thing in the books is that he was put in prison. Barty Crouch Sr. snuck him out of prison. And then throughout the books, he's had him under the invisibility cloak. And then his house elf has been helping him and keeping him alive. And then he doesn't know where Barty Crouch Jr. went. And then you Whoa. find out that he's just got okay. his So Barty Crouch Sr. is more intertwined with Barty Crouch Jr., but doesn't yeah. realize the scale and the magnitude of which he has grown to of basically enabling this whole plot to happen. But then in the movie, they just kind of ignore all of that. So I guess you're supposed to be under the assumption that Barty Crouch Sr. doesn't know that his son is there. I think that's what they're going for. But yeah. it's very confusing. And they kind of just, it's very much, eh, we're not going to worry about that. Yeah. yeah <laughs> oh, see, like- I, I, having not read the books and and that sort of, even sort of the memory, the, the flashback of how quickly he denounces his son. And mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. I thought that was so powerful because that set up the whole thing of like, oh, if you're a Death Eater, there's, there's no wiggle room here. Like yeah. you are the absolute worst and everyone's going to, you know, say as much. Well, and that's what's so interesting about the way that that then Brady Crouch Sr. approaches it, right? Because it's like, I think he does do that. Like, he does sort of denounce his son, but then mm-hmm. even though he, like, denounces his Death Eater ways, it's still his son, and he wants to help him out, and he wants to get him out of Azkaban and kind of reform him yeah. and keep him hidden and, and help him out. And then, you know, of course, Brady Crouch Sr. ends up escaping and, mm-hmm. and doing this apologies thing. So in a way, you're like Barty Crouch Sr. and I'm junior in that I haven't read all the Harry Potter books <laughs> mm-hmm. and you aren't going to give up on me and you're going to try and like help me. and, and Exactly. All yeah. Because I'm a, I'm a bigger person. <laughs> and you have a Hitler mustache. <laughs> yeah. And an unplaceable accent. <laughs> <laughs> and you've been doing weird things with your hands the entire recording. You can't see this because it's not a medium. But for three hours, I've Lauren been... has just been... Spirit fingering. (laughs) (laughs) So then we've got a scene later on where Harry goes into Dumbledore's office and he's eventually leaves and Harry is alone and does the pensive thing. And Dumbledore, who loves candy, has licorice snacks on the table. And I don't think this is in the book where Dumbledore says, do you want a licorice snack? Careful, they're a bit sharp. And then they end up 
growing teeth and biting Harry's hands. Yeah, I don't know. Why do all these things exist? It's just, I think they just wanted as much CGI as possible in this thing. (laughs) So they do that, and then he accidentally does the pensive trip and goes back and sees the whole Barty Crouch Sr. thing. Again, they've changed it because in the books, Bellatrix is there. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, it's, it's all more drawn out, but I guess for the purpose of the film, they're just trying to show you more and more bit. that this guy is bad and he's supposed to be in jail, but now he's out. But yeah. I don't know. I think it loses some of the effectiveness because it's less complicated. So it's less fun. Mm. Yeah. They then start the third task is the next thing I have notes on. And Amos Diggory comes back, Cedric's dad. In the movie, Amos Diggory is really nice. In the books, Amos Diggory, kind of an asshole. Yeah, very he much so. Really? Talk- yeah, he shit talks Harry in the Quidditch World Cup scenes because in book three, Cedric's team beat Harry once and Amos is doing this whole thing where he's like, oh, Harry Potter, the famed seeker. My son, Cedric, will be telling his grandkids about the time he beat you in Quidditch, which is a bad look because it's a regular season Quidditch match in middle school. Yeah, <laughs> he's very much like a stage mom. He's like, yeah, he's, he's a really, dancer mom. Yeah, he's very much like pumping up Cedric and like yes. saying, you know, like, oh, like my boy is like better than everybody. And Cedric's just sort of oh. like trying to be a good guy mm-hmm. despite his dad. But he's so sweet in the movie. Yeah, so yeah they nice. make him really sweet. Yeah, they make, which I think works, uh, right? Because yeah. you want you want to feel for him and stuff, yes. especially at the end. And there's not an, as much time to like establish this whole day. I think it works better. It makes yeah. him just like you can tell he loves his son so much, yeah. which is more fun than Every, we all know the crappy sports dad that's trying yeah. to live vicariously through his kid and takes it too far. And I think this is more fun. I think it's more a better choice and makes his death sadder. Because absolutely, I, heard, I remember reading in the book when it was like said it was saying Amos Diggory is heartbroken. I was like, oh, he was a prick anyway. I don't really right. care. <laughs> yeah, this is much more effective, I think. Mm-hmm, for sure. So they are about to start the third task, and a really funny moment. They also added this, but I think it's some great comic relief. Is Dumbledore saying on the count of three, one, and then Phil shoots the cannon yes (laughs) oh my god filch in this movie uh he's pure comic relief in this one which i think is a nice break from in movie two where he's like paranoid freak of nature yeah so i really enjoyed him being comic relief here i thought it was was more enjoyable of a movie experience so here's something that is absolutely buck wild i think it made sense that they did this in the movie but brigand did you know that in the book in addition to having the moving walls of the maze and as we mentioned the blasted scroot there is also a giant sphinx that gives you a riddle that you must answer in order to get through to the end. <laughs> there are so many more things in the maze. It's not just a maze. There's a sphinx yep. and it asks you a riddle. The answer to the riddle, spoiler alert, is spider. Mm-hmm. It's a thing where I, f- I forget the thing. It's It breaks down like spy, duh, and er. Yeah. So... They say, I'm the middle of the middle and the end, end of end. end. So that's yeah. to give you the letter D. And then it's saying when, you, when you're looking around when you're not supposed to be, that's spy. And then the end, it says what you say when you're trying to find the next word. And I remember as an American reading this book, I said, okay, um, uh, something like that. But yeah. Because it's very British. And the answer is, err. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> so that's the whole riddle. And if you get it wrong, the Sphinx attacks you. So Harry gets the riddle right. And then after, there is a giant spider that is, attacks yep. you. And it's a whole thing where in the book, it breaks Harry's leg. Yeah. And Cedric and Harry have to band together to fight against the spider to eventually get to the cup. And in the movie, they just make it just the changing vines. And there's also a very, very cool fog that Harry walks through where it's like it's this weird fog that doesn't look 
bad or anything, oh, but he steps right. into it and then all of a sudden he's upside down. Oh. And he has this like whole long moment where he's like, what do I do? I'm like stuck to the the top of the earth. And if I take a step, will I like fall? And it's sort of this trick that it's supposed to sort of paralyze you into like Confusion. paralyze you with fear into mm-hmm. into not moving, but then it turns out that the way through it is just to take another step, and then you're right set up again. Was Crumb bewitched? Yeah, so Crumb does yeah. get under the Imperious, Imperious Curse okay. by Bardicard Junior Moody thing to make sure. Again, all of what he is doing is making sure that Harry wins the tournament by getting the cup and then dying. So everything he does is to bring up Harry and hurt the other people. So that's what he does to Crumb and makes Crumb go after Fleur specifically and then Cedric. And like makes Crumb, I think, try to use Avada on Fleur. Like yeah. it's, he it's like implied. tries to kill her. It's implied that he's going to use unforgivable ones. Yeah. So it's rough. Yeah. And one thing about Crumb that's interesting, they keep doing this in the movies, is when people use Expelliarmus, it sends people flying. Yeah. In the books, Expelliarmus is just the disarming spell. So you're holding a wand, you do Expelliarmus, you're flies out of your hand. That's it. But this happened in the second movie and this is happening in this movie now. Cedric hits Crumb with Expelliarmus and then Crumb goes flying and then is knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> it's not what Expelliarmus does at all. Oh. So then they go through and they grab the cup. The, the back and forth of fighting for who should get the cup is more intense here because it's time sensitive yeah. the vines are going to get them yeah in the book they've defeated the spiders so it's a longer argument and is more fun because there's more reasons where it's like no you take it no you take it and no, also take more it. tragic too because if harry had just taken it himself yeah. cedric wouldn't have died yeah right? uh, oh that hurts so they one two three they grab it they go and They've made this scene very extra in the movie with the giant Grim Reaper statue with the yeah. scythe and the hood and the skull. Oh my God. Yeah, not I not in the book at all. Boop! The boop from hell. All right, pass Mike. Let's pump the brakes a little bit. If this scene is really as intense and extra as you say it is, we should compose ourselves before discussing it. Let's take a little bit of a break with Wingardi Madridosa. Today's episode of Powderless is brought to you by Perfect Snacks. Let's say hypothetically that you are going home a week early for Thanksgiving because you're already in Atlanta for a Harry Potter convention, and then you booked a live show in Houston, and you want to keep up your workout regimen and eating protein shakes or bars or something afterwards, but you can't bring your big old tub of protein that you have in your apartment in New York all the way on a flight. That's going to take up too much room. What are you going to do? You're going to bring something more portable, and that is Perfect Bars from Perfect Snacks. Perfect Snacks has a line of fresh-from-the-fridge protein bars that are made with freshly ground nut butter. They have a to 17 grams of whole food protein and they contain 20 superfoods. It's all combined to create a cookie dough-like texture that is just as nutritious as it is delicious. And I've eaten many perfect bars now and let me tell you, they are so great. I actually look forward to eating a protein bar after a workout or if I'm too lazy to make breakfast and this has never been the case of my protein bar filled life thus far. <laughs> and the reason is they have amazing flavors. They have dark chocolate peanut butter, almond butter, coconut peanut butter, regular peanut butter, chocolate chip, so many different options, all of them delicious. And I mentioned traveling with them and that's okay because they can stay fresh for up to one week out of the fridge. So you can bring them on the plane and then once you get into Texas, put them back in the fridge so that they are that optimal texture right after a workout. Let them melt a little bit and then put them in. Oh, so so fantastic. And not only do they taste good, but they'll help you feel good because they're gluten-free, they're soy-free, they're kosher, they're low GI, and they're made in America. 
America. Doesn't that feel great? And if you're interested in getting some of these perfect bars, you are in luck because as a Potterless listener, you can get 15% off your online order if you go to perf.bar slash Potterless. Again, you can shop for their refrigerated line of snacks at P-E-R-F dot B-A-R slash Potterless to get 15% off your online order. So go to perf.bar slash Potterless, order some perfect bars, get 15% off, and start having a nice, actually enjoyable protein bar experience while you're at your parents' house still working out today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Arena Club. Now, if you listen to this podcast, it should be no secret that I am both a sports nerd and more of a traditional nerd. And when you think of these two types of nerddom, there's one thing that links them together, and that is card collecting. Whether you are looking to buy, trade, sell, or display a card collection of sports cards or Pokemon cards, you should check out Arena Club. ArenaClub.com is the place where you can do all of these things. I have recently made a purchase on the marketplace. I got Lieutenant Surge's Raichu, which is my favorite Pokemon, and I didn't even know that there was a Lieutenant Surge version of the Raichu. So that is a card that I now have, and it's not just some digital thing. I can have this card physically mailed to me. So there's a bunch of cool stuff you can do with Arena Club, including their slab packs. If you have ever done any sort of card collecting, you know that ripping packs or repacks can be a zero transparency type of thing where you're just hoping you get some sort of cool card. But what's nice about the slab packs with Arena Club is that you have full transparency. You see what available cards are there, what your percentage of getting them is, what the gradings are, so it is not a complete black box. You're going into this knowing what cards you might get. And I've been using Arena Club, and it's pretty cool. It's very easy for me to look up different cards. I can favorite them, see what I want, and then whenever I want them shipped to me, I can get them shipped to me, and then I'll have the physical versions of them. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to ArenaClub.com slash Wow, that is a wild offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack is for Bucks right there. Wow. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash Potterless for 10% off your first purchase. So if you collect some cards or we open some packs in a more transparent way, whether you're a sports nerd or Pokemon nerd or all sorts of nerds like me, you can use Arena Club today. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games. They do amp up a lot, but... It still does look really cool in some parts. Totally. Baby, creepy, morsel Voldemort. Oh my Marva God. Marva yeah. Voldemort is yeah. weird. <laughs> is it still the same ceremony in the book? Because yeah, I remember the thinking thing. like, yeah. holy yeah. crap, that is gross yeah. and awesome. They take the bone out of his father's grave mm-hmm. and then they cut off Pettigrew's hand and then they yep. take some of Harry's blood and do the whole deal. One thing that they do lose out on is there's a great pun that Voldemort makes at one point where at some point he says that something to the effect of thanks for lending a hand, Pettigrew. Yeah. <laughs> really good. But they they do all that. And the movie, the transformation of him becoming full body Voldemort 
terrifying. Yeah, yeah. Very really good. creepy. Very well done. I do think it's very convenient that a cloak also materializes. <laughs> yeah, weird making it. But then also, I love that Ray finds the guy who plays Voldemort does this thing where he's touching all over his new body and he really looks like he's feeling himself. It's just, yeah. oh, yes. Yeah, they're like, uh, mm. It's such a great introduction. <laughs> oh, my God. Also, a point of contention that I was confused about but is confirmed here is that Voldemort does not wear shoes. Oh, yeah. Chris and Mercurio and I wondered if he wore shoes when we were recording a Book 7 episode because we were talking about if he kicks open a door. <laughs> He is not wearing shoes. There are some scenes from filming where Voldemort is wearing shoes, but I think that was probably just an actor thing and then they yeah. cropped it out or whatever. That's so funny. I literally never thought about that. He doesn't ever wear shoes. What it's shoe? really weird to picture Voldemort in shoes. Because what shoe would make sense? All of them are incorrect. Sketchers. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Heelys. <laughs> Moon shoes. Voldemort rolls up. Hey, what's up, guys? <laughs> Uh, so they have the duel and the duel is far less fun than in the book. Yeah. In the book, I always got the impression that there were more Death Eaters than show up in the movie. There's only like a handful that show yeah. up. I always thought that it was more. Voldemort is very insistent on him being the only one to fight. He does the whole thing where he tortures Harry and forces him to bow. And there's yeah. this whole thing where he's saying, Dumbledore would want you to show manners. It's much more of this drawn out Voldemort fully convinced he has the upper hand on Harry yep. and really shows his folly, his, his hubris. He's just so confident that he's going to just murder Harry, that he's really toying with him and playing with him and using the Cruciatus curse and the Imperius curse and all this other stuff. And I feel like in the movie, they just kind of cut to the chase and get to dueling. Yeah. And there's it lessens the stakes, I think, a little bit, because obviously Cedric is dead and that happens very quickly and and that raises the stakes. But I don't, in the book, it like Harry really thinks that he's going to die. Oh, yeah. Which, it's a whole internal monologue. Yeah. Thing. Which I don't think really is communicated in the movie. It gets to a point so much so in the book that Harry is so convinced that he's going to die that he starts standing up to Voldemort just because he says, well, if I'm going to die, I'm not going to go out a coward. Exactly. It's yeah. all purely oh. just, yeah, it's no, Harry has no confidence that he's going to win. He goes yeah. in, he's saying, all right, I am absolutely screwed. I'm going to die. This is it. But you know what? My dad went out like a champ, so I'm going to go out like a champ and I'm going to show it to this dude. Yeah, I'm going to go down fighting. no one knows. And I think that's really powerful yeah. and you lose it. The other thing that you lose that is really cool and not emotional at all is that when they're spelled meet and the the wands are going at it for each other Voldemort and Harry fly into the air oh. in the book they levitate off I the ground I forgot about that yeah they <laughs> levitate off the ground and start I don't know if they start spinning in a circle but they definitely levitate off the ground yeah and it's way cooler <laughs> and they didn't do it in the movie and I'll never forgive everyone involved <laughs> like what are you doing Dude, that's like if you're doing Space Jam and he does the long, stretchy dunk at the end and the guy's like, no, 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 he's just going to make a three-pointer. That's <laughs> so much less fun. It is weird that considering how much they like to lean into the action things, they didn't do that. I don't get it. I, I will say that the uh, the effect, this is the first time that we get the kind of like liquid electricity yeah, it, that dueling it effect, right? So cool. It looks so cool. Awesome. Because that's like my favorite bit of effects throughout the movies like mm -hmm. i freaking love how they they made that magic work because i just want to see more shots of that sort of like liquid electric stuff is your favorite yeah. movie terminator 2 because <laughs> that's got a whole lot of liquid metal going on really? did you like the adventures of alex mack on nickelodeon growing up where she oh, could yes. turn into a pile of goo <laughs> oh yeah that's incredibly uh -huh. good that's so interesting because i actually like that was one of the things that 
ended up really bothering me about the later movie is uh-huh. was was the fact that magic, like the magic dueling, was then just like sending these like beams of light at people, which is no, right. it's like mm. you have to have specific spells, you have to be strategic, and yeah. you don't see what the other person's doing. Mm-hmm. Same thing with like the when they made apparating just like flying. flying. That's oh. <laughs> this felt like if two spells meet each other, at least from what I pick up in the movies, is like because he does Avada Kedavra and he. I think t- Harry's answering that with stupefy. Expelliarmus. But not as intensive a spell yeah. by any means. So they sort of like meet, because I, I think it's in, I actually want to say Half-Blood Prince, where you know Dumbledore and Voldemort have a, a thing, where yeah. I imagine the that's in the book movie. Fifth, the fifth yeah. movie, Order of the Phoenix, they have a big duel. And there's no, there's no music to it. It's just the sound in this like empty hall and it's so freaking cool. So like any chance that the two spells meet and it's like dripping that stuff, I, I want like a, a a master cut of that stuff because yeah. it's so cool. Well I, I think like in this scene it really, really worked for me because that is what happens in Priory and Cantatum, right? Is mm-hmm. that is that the, the two spells collide and then they like cause this other effect. Mm-hmm. I think in the yeah and like the dueling because I, I totally agree like in the fifth movie when all the music cuts out and you just hear them dueling. I think I would have loved that even more if it had just been like these sort yeah. of silent spells right. and things are happening to them that you aren't even like aware of really. Like I think that's... Yeah, yeah. I think in that scene in the fifth one, it's cool because they are both such powerful wizards that they can do nonverbal spells. Exactly. So it's really cool. In this one, and Brigan, you are correct that it is incredibly rare that spells touch and they talk about that later, that yeah. what happened is so rare. And part of it is because they share similar cores of their wand. It's the same phoenix it's, yeah it's foxes yeah it's feathers from yeah. the same phoenix so they shoot at it so that's part of it but the priori incantatum itself the stuff with the ghosts coming out yeah. is done a little bit differently in the books first off it doesn't just show the people that were killed in the movie you've just got cedric and then frank the gardener and yeah. then harry's parents in the book it shows Pettigrew's hand yeah. It also shows Bertha Jorkins, who's a character that just was completely ignored in the whole fourth movie. Yeah. She's this character. She works for the ministry. She goes missing. And then the fan theory that J.K. Rowling will not confirm nor deny is that she was pregnant. She was pregnant. That's confirmed. But the thought is that they used her pregnant infant to put Voldemort's <gasps> soul into. And that's why he was this weird, like, kind of baby thing. Oh, oh my God. My God. Because in the book, it is not described. No. And JK in interviews had said there's two things that are so cruel and evil that she'll never describe. It's that, and then it's whatever Tom Riddle does to that's the, so the orphans up. in the, the cave. Orphans, yeah. Hey, editing Mike here. So past Mike was close, but the two things JK said she would never describe are what happened in the cave, but two was the creation of a horcrux. So this is kind of close, but she just says that there is some sort of unspeakable evil act that goes into actually creating one, and she does not feel comfortable sharing it. So, oh, who's to say? Maybe unborn babies is still part of it. Ooh. Holy I think this shit. theory was one of the other co-hosts on Pottercast, and Melissa Nelly told me about this. And yeah, oh, damn, that oh. is dark. Yeah, but she's just not in the movie. No Bertha Jorkins. Oof. So there's more ghosts that come out, and then it's just a longer, more drawn-out scene in the books. In the books, you get more of they mess up the order, which is funny, and they had to rewrite it. But you've got depending on which edition of the book you're reading, one of Harry's parents coming out and then saying the other parent is coming out because in the book, the first edition, Harry's dad comes out first and then then says, your mother's on her way, your mother's on her way. And it was this whole thing where it's like, Harry was thinking about her all night, blah, 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 blah. 
Or no, is that what it is? Yeah, because that is the yes, wrong yeah. order. And that's the, the order right. that I've read it in. Yeah. I, it never occurred to me that, yeah, she dies second, so she would be first to mm-hmm. come out of the wand. And then when they had to redo it, because the the way prior incantatum happens is reverse order, his mom comes out first, and then she says, your father's on his way, your father's on his way, and the narrator has to say, this is who he'd been thinking about all night. But it doesn't make as much sense in context. No. So it's this whole thing. JK has gone on record saying that she was under this tight deadline, and it was late at night, and they missed it. And that's this whole big deal. But <laughs> I think the mistaken version works better where there's more hype for Harry waiting for his mom because at this point he was obsessed with his dad and doesn't know as much about his mom. And then I think actually his mom is so much better than James. Oh, Oh, so so much better. Yeah. So you lose some of that. And then also you lose the coaching of it. So it takes longer. They still do it in the movie, but it's very quick where his parents kind of come out right away. And then his dad's like, all right, Harry, here's what's going to go. We're going to go for him. You got to leave. It's like, what? <laughs> Whereas in the movie, it's more they talk. They're hyping him up. He says that we're going to rush him so you can escape. And then in the movie, he goes straight from there to the port key. What happens in the book is they distract him. He breaks the connection and then he hides behind a gravestone. And then he's trying to figure out how he's going to get Cedric's body and go to the cup. He tries to carry Cedric's body and he can't move. Also, his leg is broken from the spider. So yeah. that's a whole other angle. So then what he ends up doing is grabbing Cedric and accioing the cup to him and then leaving. So I don't know. It makes me sad that They've made so many other scenes longer, like the dragon scene and the mermaid yeah. scene takes a really long time. Yeah. They flesh out these scenes that don't matter. And then you get this one scene that in the books, this is like four chapters. Like it's, it's, yeah. I think it's only two, but it feels like a lot more. It's so much longer. Uh. And it's like, if you wouldn't have made these needless scenes so long, we could have fleshed this out more. It's like, what are we doing here? They yeah. made this scene so short. Yeah. Like the sense of urgency feels good and makes sense, but you also like sort of lose the emotional height of of a lot of the scene, I think. It's the big reveals that, oh yeah. God, Voldemort's back, and it's so quick. Yeah. Makes me sad. You know, these these uh, books sound pretty <laughs> cool. I think people should check them out. <laughs> they are children's books, especially if they're on, so you will blow through them. <laughs> yes. You gotta read them. I once read so all bad. seven in four days. <laughs> oh my God. You can do it. I thought you were gonna say one day, and I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> <laughs> so, he gets in the porky, they come back, and then it's tragic but it is accurate of everyone being so happy and then slowly everyone starts realizing what's really happening this is oh my, my... god that marching band yes oh, yes that... oh chills this is my favorite scene in mm. the entire movie oh yeah um it's because rough. it is the scene i remember watching it and being like like this like sigh of relief because this is to me the moment where Daniel Radcliffe figured out how to act. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. this scene. He does mm-hmm. he does a really nice job, and it's like the third movie was kind of rough because you know he has like they're all kids, right? They're like figuring out how to be actors. But Daniel Radcliffe, I think, is a very talented actor, yeah. and this felt like the scene where. It was, yeah, it was, it's just, again, the marching band, like, falter. Oh, it's, it's oh. also hard. Oh, and the crowd, like, becoming aware. Yeah. And Fudge is like, a boy has died. Mm-hmm. And and, and, and then, yeah, like, I still get chills with, with his dad my going, boy. my boy. My boy. Like, One oh, thing that is so funny good. that took me out of the scene a little bit is they're showing different shots of students looking sad. And they cut to Cho, and she looks really sad. But then one row behind her and to her left is Seamus Finnegan, who also looks sad. But with what looks like a Sharpie, has Potter written across his forehead. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. I just started laughing because first off, Clearly, no no one knew about sports because that's no one does that. You don't go to a sporting event and then write the name of your team on your forehead. No one does this. 
Uh, so just Seamus with Potter. Potter. Well, the cool thing about those shots is like after once all the excitement sort of like subsides and, and everyone realizes what has happened and then it focuses on all of them. Like there's a gorgeous shot of like Neville with like a flame in the foreground. And it's if this movie is like about that establishing and transition of like, oh, we've grown up and like big scary things are about to happen. This is like that first moment where, you know, Harry's screaming and then it's just they go from shot to shot of all of his friends just standing there like silent. Mm -hmm. I think it's such a powerful scene. Yeah. Yeah. It really I think also especially the way that it's paralleled with I also really love the the like sound design of him entering the maze and it's like you know it's like foggy and spooky and the marching band yeah. fades as mm-hmm. the hedge closes mm-hmm. behind him I think there's something really interesting of like him going into the maze and then coming out and like literally everything is going to be different from now on and yeah. just that yeah it, it, like exactly like at him sort of bringing this changed world to everybody and watching everybody respond to that in real time yeah. is so interesting. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's an important part of the series, book, movie, whatever. It's the tonal shift. Yeah. It goes from, oh, magic, everything's nice, cool, to, oh, wow, there We're are true stakes. Now. Children have died. Yeah. Satan is back. <laughs> yeah. Who cares about school anymore? There's bigger things at stake. So yeah. I think it was done well. Yeah. So then you've got Moody taking him out. And bringing him into the classroom and then slowly doesn't have enough polyjuice potions, so he's turning back. And then the teachers come in to save the day. Again, they use Expelliarmus. I think Snape does. Yeah. They use Expelliarmus, which opens the door and also sends Moody flying yeah. and knocks him out. It's like, Expelliarmus has gotten so much extra <laughs> so credit. It does so many things. Oh, my gosh. It's like the Pepto-Bismol of spells. It just does everything. <laughs> oh, but one of the things after they do this when they're taking Barty Crouch Jr. away is they show the dark mark tattoo. And then he says that I'll show you mine if you show me yours, which phrasing. Yeah. But then also they show Harry's cut arm next to it, which why? That, yeah. That, that, that does that's nothing. nothing. It's like, that's oh, nothing. Harry, show me your forearm. It's like, why? Because yeah, they cut it's, it? It's so weird. I don't get what it was supposed to do. <sighs> That felt like another one of those things that the filmmakers were like, I bet this is important later on. (laughs) I bet the fact that he was cut in the same place that they have their tattoos is Uh, important. And it's like, no, it's that's nothing. It was very. It's really it's a really weird. Yeah, that's a weird. moment. Well, those tattoos only activate when the Dark Lord is alive, right? Yeah. Yes. So I'm wondering if because Harry Potter's blood is now flowing through the veins of Voldemort that and it was cut in that sort of forearm thing that it's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, like the prophecy has happened. Yeah, that is the yeah. line priors. They say his blood is in your blood yeah. kind of thing. So maybe that's what it is. That's what Barty Crouch is saying as they're getting ready to take him away. So the last thing that Barty Crouch says is they're saying they're going to send him back to Azkaban. And he said, I'll be welcome back like a hero. And then Dumbledore adds this line that isn't in the book that I don't understand the purpose of. It. He goes, personally, I've never had much time for heroes. Like, yeah. what is that? What is that supposed to say? What's it supposed to convey? Yeah. yeah. Literally, like, you are the hero. You're nursing Harry to be the to hero. To be the hero. Yeah. What? I'm just so confused. Yeah, I don't, really weird. It seems like it's supposed to be this prophetic line that just accomplishes nothing. Yeah. yeah. I didn't understand at all. This must have been an autocorrect, but I have Cedric Ecology is good. Oh, Eulogy. Eulogy. <laughs> Which is God. so damn good. So yeah, yeah. They, then the next scene is the Cedric Eulogy. Thank you so much for deciphering that break. <laughs> uh, the, the Cedric Eulogy, which is really powerful in the book as well, yeah. is done so well in the movie. And, it really is. And it made me wish that Michael G- Gambon, what's yeah. it? it made me wish that he would have just 
tone Dumbledore down a little bit because yeah. he's good here as somber Dumbledore. That's the he's thing. He's incredible. He's really good in a lot of scenes and he just made so many weird choices. <laughs> yes. I don't know if he was too established of an actor where the director felt bad giving him notes. Yeah. But it seems like if he would have just been more like this calm, reserved Dumbledore throughout, it would have been better. Yeah. Agreed. Is the speech the same in the book? I think I think it's roughly the it's same. It's pretty yeah. much the same. It's it's very much like Cedric was great because the writing's so good. Yeah. And it, even watching it again last night, like I was getting super choked up in the scene when he's you know he was like brave and true and a fierce friend and and it felt like it really drove home the sort of like innocence lost, like a young yeah. young boy was killed and now everything's different yeah. and, and we're all experiencing this together. That And then it like the camera pans up to the, the ceiling yeah. and it's so heartbreaking. It's really beautifully done. It's really, yeah. And, yeah, and I think a lot of that stuff is in the book too and him sort of talking about like how now is the time that we all need to like stand by each other and everything, which is such an interesting contrast to then how like the fifth year starts where everyone is kind of in this situation of like, Voldemort's back. We all have to stand together because Cedric died. And then by the time that the summer is over and Harry comes back, nobody believes him anymore. Mm-hmm. And it's like it's kind of nice to have the, those those parallels. Yeah. But yeah, I think, nice. I think a lot of that speech is the same. Yeah, I think movie. it's pretty close one to one. But yeah. then the final thing that I have notes on is something. When does he say it's I think it's Dumbledore and Harry talking and he says, quote, I've never liked these curtains. Yeah. I set them on fire in my fourth year. Dot, dot, dot. By accident, of course. Where was this? I don't it's know. when Harry's packing and he sort of like shows up into his dorm. Oh, yeah. Just yeah. in the common rooms. I, I'm yeah. pretty sure that wasn't in the book. It felt real weird. Yeah. Like, what it's, the? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I really Just don't transfigure get it. them. Don't set them on fire. That's yeah. so dangerous. <laughs> But yeah, so then they they weirdly try to end the movie on a happy note as opposed to just letting you kind of sit with it. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like the book didn't do this as much. I but. wasn't a huge fan of like Hermione standing there and she's like, everything's going to be different. And then Harry like confidently walks up and just says, matter of factly, yes, yes, it is. As if like he's totally okay with it being all different. It felt so forced. I was like, yeah. oh. There's a lot of shit going on. Why are you so okay with this? Yeah, it was a big shift. I remember when I read the fourth book, it's not a happy ending. No, it's very much. It's, oh, everything will be different. Yeah. Not everything will be different. It's yeah. somber. Yeah, it's like you already know that like Hagrid is kind of leaving to go. Everyone's sort of being sent off to try and basically prepare for a war. Like I remember finishing the fourth book and being like, oh, we're at war now. Like that's yeah. what that's what it, we're going into. Oh, really? Yeah, the movie is very much like everything's going to be different, but we'll get through it together. And it's like, no, you're about to have like a world war. (laughs) And that doesn't even happen in the movies until the next one. Like it wasn't until the next one that I was like, oh, everything's moving towards the war. Mm -hmm. Cause then it gets real serious in six. So it's, uh, yeah, that's interesting. It's just so weird. It felt so forced. Yeah. So forced. We're going to have a happy ending. (laughs) You don't, you don't have to. You don't need to. It's it's okay. okay. It's fine. (laughs) But Yeah. And on that note, <laughs> the end of this episode of Potter Listen, talking about the movies. So just overall, what do you guys think about the film? Brigan, how do you feel now that you know a little bit more about what the book is like versus the movie, pros, cons, et cetera? I definitely am excited to read the book. Yes. Uh, We've done it. <laughs> like super excited. But the thing that I actually appreciated from this is I've always sort of written this movie off. Like I said at the like the first episode of this three-parter <laughs> that we've done, where I was like, this always seems like the basic Harry Potter movie. Mm-hmm. And I think there were parts of it. I think the same things that frustrated me about the movie, which was like all the world building, are actually the things that make it an enjoyable film too, weirdly. Yeah. So it's, it's um, 
I enjoyed digging back into it. So I'm excited to read the book for sure. Yeah, I really I really liked this movie when it came out because it felt like I think because it it felt less frustrating in a lot of in a lot of ways I think especially because Daniel Radcliffe and Rupert Grant and Emma Watson kind of were starting to figure out mm-hmm. like how to act. Mm-hmm. And I thought that like other than the sort of the last beat the moment from when he enters the maze to the end was like a really good way of approaching that like very hard turn in the books. It's by no means my my favorite movie, and I didn't really realize until I started talking about it how strongly I felt about some of the <laughs> some of the like things that they changed, especially when it you know is about gender and and sort of like the the sexual awakening of these characters, <laughs> however they were trying to to do it. But I think to me, like in the same way that the book is kind of imperfect, but was like a good pivot point for the series. I think the movie accomplishes like a lot of the same things. Mm. Yeah. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. I remember as a kid when I was just watching the movies and not reading the books, this was the first one that I really liked yeah. and remembered and stuck out. And I know it's a bit of a pain point for me, especially even early on. I was like, they're trying to appeal to a lot of people, but it did help. Yeah. <laughs> it was the one that I enjoyed, even though I didn't end up reading the books afterwards. But I think it's still a well-done movie. Yeah. I think all of the frustrations are just over removing things from the book. If I hadn't known that there were all these side plots, I would have been like, yeah, this is great. Nothing's wrong with it. Yeah. All the stuff that we're talking about is it's usually just things left out or things added that seem confusing. It's not actual big complaints yeah. aside from dragging out a couple things, which happens in these movies. So I thought it was good. I yeah. think this movie gets a lot of flack, but I don't know that it's necessarily deserved. I think it yeah. was solid. I think yeah. it's well done. I think it's really effective at, at doing what it needs to do. Yeah. My, I guess the one complaint is the crumb thing. I think he's such an yeah. interesting character. That's the like one big regret I have. But otherwise, it was fun. It was enjoyable. And uh, yeah, it's fun to see all the magic and CGI. It's good that the CGI <laughs> is definitely getting better from this one versus the others. Yeah, for this sure. This one really kind of sets itself as there's no awkward stuff. There's no weird key flying thing or the yeah. snake <laughs> or the werewolf in the third. <laughs> I feel like everything looked nicer here. So totally. it was good. And I'm excited to do the future movies where their hair all gets better. <laughs> yes. But Lauren and Brigham, thank you so much for joining on for this big old three-parter. Woo. Listeners, thanks for listening. And if they want to find you guys, where can they do so? At Lauren Chippen on Twitter and Instagram. You'll see all of my projects. Yeah. And at Brigham Snow on Twitter and at Brigham on Instagram. And yeah, see you out there. Yeah, check out their stuff. Listen to the Bright Sessions. Listen to the AM archives. They're all incredible things. They're all doing wonderful stuff out there. Read The Infinite Noise, or as I keep writing, at the Multitude Live Show, a couple of people had us sign copies of The Infinite Noise, which I think is very funny <laughs> since <laughs> I had no say in that book. But Lauren's our friend. Uh, and every time I did it, I would cross out noise and write boys and then sign it. So it's very good. There's a few vandalized copies out there that say the infinite boys on the inside cover page. It's a better title. <laughs> but thanks again both for being on listeners. Thanks for listening. And, and as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, before they try to harsh pivot things into being a happy ending instead of sad, wizard on. Okay, Brandon, we're done. Thanks, Brandon. We did. <laughs> Hey, this episode's being posted on November 25th. That means Christmas is a month away. If you need to do some holiday shopping, what better way to do it than at the Potterless Merch Store? If you go to bit.ly slash merch on, you can check out all of the new Potterless merchandise that is up there, plus the existing stuff, and all of it can be delivered before the holidays, but you gotta get in. Some of the stuff is on pre-orders, some of it is already there live. Check it all out and win the holidays by getting people Potterless Merch, which is all fantastic.
Potterless is created by Mick Schubert. It is hosted by Mick Schubert. It is edited by Mick Schubert. It is produced by Mick Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Aaron Johnson, Jesse Horgan, Natalie Klobuchar, Klauser, Lopu, Frank Chiodo, Marchismo, Samantha Rose, Juan Sanfelio, Abid Med, Rosemary Dodge, Maria Lisa C. Keen, Romina Rivadanera, Camille Doc, Audra, Eleanor Curlin, Rossanne Batamana, Nikita Power, Taylor Armstead, Ali Madsen, Amelia Krauss, Sarah Nink, Ben Silver, Rachel Guthrie, Zachary Polito, Orca Grove, Vivian the Owl, Takari Ront, Haley Hastings, Moster, Angelina Withred, Caitlin Sullivan, Grace Riggles, Raul Pineda, Inga Nodstadter, Mari Wynn, Alex Consilver, John Cocker, Noel Basile, Tao, Emily Tyrell, Robin Fernandez, Will Barrington, Liz Bigelow, Brandon Pickens, Sarah Enslin, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Gloria Gillum, Alicat 29, Veronica Vartova, Lotta Bartova, Noah, Tracy Toya, Colleen, Jennifer Mark, Lou Friday, Jay Svensson, Ivor Peterson, Naomi Guglielmo, Tyler Latshaw, Summer Rathel, Heather Fleischman, Vera Cullitham, Carrie D. Bagason, Andrea Crock, Lisa Grieven, Lynn Walker, Cameron Watkins, Justin Montero, Christine Saunders, Jacob Parrish, Toothless Walnut, Maya Gray, Mark Body, Polly Burge, Netta Atabani, Remy Fontaine, Sarah Shecker, Nona VM, Zina Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Noelia Addy, Brian, Jenny Campion, Nikki Harris, Cara Hamilton, Courtney Hemwood, Kine, Amanda Alfred, Sabrina, Alicia McLaren, Kafir Shaltiel, Lindy Plack, Martha Madueno, Benjamin Desmond, Sarah Shetter, Marta Morrison, Stephanie Magnuson, Justine Wade, Aaron Richter, CJ Ochoco, Eileen Gazesh, Violet Sullivan, Kat Yao, Lindsay Towning, Fielding Lee, Keegan Curran, Miranda Manning, Gail Ann, Mr. Folk, Adam Bryant, Christine Welton, Maya, Zachary Davis, Kieran, Heaven, Christy, Lily Leader Williams, Wire Warrior 4976, Flor Sake, Sierra Skiarsford, Georgia, Itzel Aime Ayala, Peter Wyckoff, Kenny Kane, Skyla Lily, Ed O'Ryan, Professor Threat, Kelsey Lesian, Ellie Huskovchova, Lubin Maleo, Akinwande, Lena Karen, Daniel Fulkerson, Lee Lily, Elizabeth Christofferson, Abby, Luca Faccio, Michael David Yordi, Nice Earmuffs Potter, Did your mom make them for you. Cara Hoyer, Tiffany Cottrell, Kelly Otilio, Nadia Vansgard, Carrie Crumpler, Jamie Kingston, Camilo Garcia, Connie Bienkowski, Mary Mateel, Emo Sarah, Jennifer Went, Anastasia Blake, Jaden Allman, Nedry OS, Matt Barger, Riley Lane, Will Husser, Zephyr Lawrence, Brett Clausen, Samantha Lentz, Kayla M. Simino, Lauren Wainwright, Aurora Fruhoff, Emma Clark, Hermione Snape, Megan Dick, Out of Context 69, Liam McCormick, Melena Brandle, Marco Cepeda, Ella Robertson, Hannah Zeters, Cordy Spilker, Victoria McCormick, Marie Rieger, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelon, Julie Walton, The Meadows Family, Jennifer From the Block, Anna Penalber Alvarez, Fake Valentine. Time, Brianna Jordan, Karu Teru, Sarah Saunders, McKenna Tweedy, Six Awkward Nine, Anthony Ruiz, Peter Mina, Heather Langeal, Weekend at Dead Cat Ladies, Javi Guadalupe Trejo III, Darlene Kerr, Brad Harding, Thomas Chavara, Charlotte, Brianna Cusimano, Kevin Stewart, Lori McDonald, Patrick Cribben, Chris U2, Alex Romano, Bugaboo, Jarl Sviven, Haley Logan, Adam Graham, Emma, Ashley Enstrom, Peter McGrath, Sophie Duda, Jack McMahon, Jen and Rose Dowd, T Pixel Guy, Nicole Linzer, Out of Context 69, Callahan and Darius, Kylo the Husky, Leah Reed, Melissa Rab, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Web design by Kelly Beckman, and the music is by Bettina Kumbama. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash potterless, twitter.com slash potterless pod, instagram.com slash potterless podcast, or reddit.com slash r slash potterless. For any and all information about the show, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com. For bonus content, you can go to patreon.com slash potterless. For merchandise, you can go to bit.ly slash merch on. And if you tell someone about the show, whether it's in person or review online, that really helps. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the wizarding world of Harry Potter, wizard on! It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.